You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Rink wide feed Dowdy. Back to Kepe up top. Big stop. Cock it and they score the rebound. Drew Dowdy on the power play. And that's a big goal. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. And Sanford, back pass intercepted by Brown. And Brown takes, shoots, scores! What a goal! Justin Brown, rewind that one and hang on to it. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with a superior skin care that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, that's SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. Again, that's $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. Before the season started, we identified the 10 biggest questions facing the 2021 LA Kings. We're now 20 games into the season, and to help me revisit those questions, I reached out to two guys that have probably watched more Kings hockey than anybody else. Jim Fox, and Nick Nixon. All right, well, we are revisiting the 10 biggest questions facing the LA Kings in the 2021 season. Joining me to do so, Jim Fox. How are you doing tonight, Jim? Doing great, Jesse. Thanks very much. And Nick Nixon. How are you doing tonight, Nick? Good, Jesse. Uh, Good to be with you. Hard to believe 20 games into the season already. I know. My math has never been my strong suit, and for the last week, I've been thinking to myself, wow, we're at 23, we're halfway through the season, but of course that's not correct, um, not correct <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, uh, but here we are 10 games in, or sorry, 20 games in. So we're going to tackle these 10 questions. The first one, pretty straightforward. Um, so not all of these will have answers, but the first one, how many games will we see in net from Quick and Peterson? Um, so far it's it's 10 each, Jim. Um, any, any thoughts on the goaltending tandem so far this year? Well, I would just say if everything stays the same, Everything stays the way it is. There's no need to change anything. Having said that, there's a big picture approach that the Kings are taking. They have to take because of where they are, uh, what stage they are in development. So uh, if Peterson keeps putting up the numbers he has, I don't think he's going to take over. But I think he'll play more. Nick, I was... I was a little surprised when I checked the numbers that it was so clean, 10 and 10. Um, Did that surprise you at all, that it was literally a 50-50 split so far? Well, we have the opportunity to see the team every every night, obviously. And maybe aside from his first two starts for Cal Peterson, when he probably wasn't on top of his game, since then he has been really, really good. Um, And, you know, Jonathan Quick – uh, and the Kings had those those two games at home to start the season where they had leads in the third period and, and wind up losing both in overtime. But, you know, the coaches always say you earn your ice time. And to me, you know what Quick is going to give you because he's got that 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 bank of all those games to draw on, the experience. But if Peterson continues to play like he has the last seven or eight starts, there's no reason really why he shouldn't play 
at least half the games. And I, I'm sure if one guy gets on a roll, um, uh, they may get more starts than the other. But uh, it's interesting because we talked about this on our broadcast the other night in Minnesota. Kings are really the only team in the division, for sure, that has split the goaltending uh, of all the other teams. And, and if you go through the entire league, you know, only a couple teams, but really Rask is the number one in Boston. Halak gets some starts. So uh, I think right now in the division, the Kings might have the best goaltending duo uh, based on the fact that they're both playing uh, an equal amount of games and they've both been very effective. I mean, I know Jesse, you, you take a look at some of the, the analytics and the numbers uh, quick, I think has the best save percentage when the Kings are killing penalties and Peterson's save percentage at even strength is I think fourth best in the league. So, you know, you pick him, you can't go wrong, which is great because as Jim and I know, and you Jesse is being a longtime Kings fan, you got to have the goaltending, you, you know, whether it's to make the playoffs or do well in the playoffs and, and the Kings right now are really in a good spot with the, with these two guys. Yeah. A lot of focus um, over that six game win streak on the strong play. And, you know, I, I guess I'd say it feels to me like Jonathan Quick's ceiling has been higher with two shutouts, but Cal Peterson has been, has had the higher floor, I guess. I mean, that's a way of complimenting both of them. I'd, I'd hope. Um, the next uh, question moving on is uh, what will the AHL slash CHL seasons look like when the Kings season started, or at least when training camp opened, we didn't really know what was going to happen with the AHL. We didn't really know what was going to happen with the OHL. We still don't, I suppose, really know what's going to happen with the OHL. And so that's allowed Byfield and Kaliev to play with the rain. Um, this is one of those questions that won't really have an answer. Um, Jim, I thought you did a great job in your recent conversation with Rob Blake. Uh, asking him about what's going on with the rain. Um, what did you think of his answer? Um, and fans can go listen to that if they want to hear it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the record is so disappointing. Regardless of what your goals are going into a season and your priorities, which are to bring along and develop an extremely young group of players, but still, as we're speaking, I believe one eight and one. That's uh, that's a tough that's a tough go. Um, so much youth up front. In the back of my mind, I'm saying to myself, I, I think that a Kaliev or a Byfield, guys in that situation, would play better with better players. Mm -hmm. They're all young there. They're all young. So it's tough to say that someone would take the lead in that group. Uh, it's a, I think the OHL will play some games. Uh, I think it's imperative that they play games. I think for the just the overall mental approach of the players that would miss a full season, uh, that's devastating. Of course, health will always be the top concern and top priority and following protocols, which since day one, we've been talking, those will change as we go along. 
the WHL just announced that they're going to, you know, have some some bubble situations in British Columbia, which is the only province basically out west that wasn't allowing games, but now they will. Quebec's been kind of back and forth and up and down. Certainly not 100%. And I think uh, I think 20 games. If you could play 20 games, that would be enough for me to play a junior season. Well, and it's apparently going to have an impact on the draft too. I've heard I've heard rumors as crazy as they won't have a draft this offseason. They'll have two next offseason. Um, one based on the standings for this season, and then a week later, another one based on the standings for next season. Nick, I mean, have you ever <laughs> heard of anything? No. Like yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. No, I mean, this year, the past year, and it's been almost a full year since uh, uh, that last season was canceled. What was it, March 11th? Um, you know, everything is thrown in the blender, and you just don't know how it's going to come out. Um, you know, you've still got to get through this season. You've got to get through another playoffs and they did a wonderful job getting it in last summer. Um, so yeah, I, I think from this point forward and, and you, Jim, you and Jesse were talking about the WHL and the other junior leagues draft. I think it's going to constantly change from week to week. Now, once the season gets near the end, they're going to come up with different proposals on how to do things. I just don't think right now you can have anything that's concrete because you don't know when, when everything's going to finish or in the case of juniors, if it's going to start and finish. So it, it just, it's just such a, an unusual season and as Jim said, it's too bad for a lot of these young players that, uh, you know, a lot is at stake uh, with the draft. A lot is at stake with the way you perform, uh, whether it's in the AHL as an 18-year-old or in the uh, in, in, a, in a junior league. So it, it's I'm expecting we're going to get change and change and change uh, and, until – it finally gets to a point where, okay, we've got to do it. This is what we're going to do. Not going to be easy. <laughs> I know it's it's on the table now, but how about you have a regular draft this summer based on your evaluation of players that have played 20 games. I think they're going to get 20 games in. Most of them will. And if not, you base it on the, Brooks, the book you had on those kids a year ago. And then you move to the next summer. And I, I, can't, I can't see the double draft happening. But yeah. I mean, everybody's everybody's in the same boat with it, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yep. It's not like it's not like the Kings are going to see prospects more than you know San Jose is. So, whatever you decide, nobody's going to be at a disadvantage or an advantage over another team. So, uh, you know what you know what will happen, Nick? Maybe like you know, the they'll do the drafts, and then 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 we'll have some. I bet you we'll have some undrafted players, more undrafted players than the past where, you know, they end up going to a, a camp on a tryout and, you know, it's an amateur tryout situation and, and they just, but then they impress. And and that last year they grew and they, you know, they just matured as people and players. And, and so they end up, I think, you know, five years from now, maybe we'll have more undrafted players that make an NHL roster than we would have normally in the past, just because of the uncertainty of when you're selecting them. Well, you use that word uncertainty, uh, Jim, and that's exactly right. And like I said, some of these questions we know we won't 
have an answer to, but one that we, I think, pretty clearly have an answer for, especially over this past week. Um, number eight question was, who will emerge on the left side of the defense? At the beginning of the season, it looked like Mata was set to play with Dowdy. McDermott was going to play with Walker. And then Anderson, I suppose, was going to play with Roy. And there was some question as to whether or not Clegg or Bjornfoot would ever see any playing time. Um, now here we are 20 games in. Bjornfoot has played his seven games. So his first year of his ELC is burned. Um, I think it's expected at this point that he and Anderson are mainstays on the roster. Um, and Kale Clegg has been impressive in his limited minutes, but isn't back in Ontario. So, I mean, Jim, do Tobias Bjornfoot and Mikey Anderson look like legitimate NHL defensemen to you yet? Uh, yeah, just except for the, the dynamic left-hand shot defenseman the Kings are supposed to trade for. <laughs> for to play, sure. To play, to play with Drew Doughty. Sure. <laughs> which brings up to mind to me, first of all, is when you're Drew Doughty and making the amount of money he is, you don't acquire players to make him better. Right. He makes other players better. That's that's the status. That's the level you're at when you make that much money, especially in the salary cap era where – you know, you've got to have those guys. But uh, I think Mikey Anderson still, I still think he has a, a, a long way to go. But I think he'll, I think he will conquer that this upcoming offseason. Because I think the only thing he has left to conquer is he just has to get stronger. And I think he'll work on that. He, you know, whether it's eight to 10 pounds, I'm not sure of that. I'm not, I'm really, don't know enough about his body frame yet to know how much he can load on there. But, um, you know, I see him getting beaten one-on-one situations because I think he just loses the half step and he can't get it back because he's not strong enough. I see a, a little balance issue uh, leaning forward sometimes, going after pucks and gets himself unbalanced. Uh, you put that all together, his, his package of, of his body, and the, his mental approach, it just screams like 20-year career. <laughs> it really does. It, it, he just he just jumps out. Of his, but I still think he's, you know, he has to mature a little bit strength-wise. He doesn't have to mature mentally. This kid is, man, what a solid foundation he has. Bjornfoot, on the other side, I think, you know, his skating just gets him out of trouble or helps him get into position. I've liked Bjornfoot's one-on-one battles this year. I don't think he's winning them all, but I, I like his, the way he's getting in there. And again, he uses that step, uh, first step quickness or quickness on his feet to get his body in position to get a good battle going. Um, you know what? It's, it's a pretty good spot, right, for the Kings to be in with both of those guys that young and just getting better. Yeah, Nick, was uh, you surprised at all that it, this early in the season that that particular question seems to have begun answering itself? Well, I think at the start, I, like a lot of people, expected young players to get an opportunity to become NHL players with the Kings just because of, you know, the uh, the purge of the veterans, if you will, the last couple of seasons. But, you know, you look at – you know, Jim was talking about Bjornfoot and, and Anderson. I mean, still, they're just going to get better and better. Uh, you throw in Roy and Walker, I mean, they don't have that much experience either. And I'm expecting them to get better. 
And with all four of those, I, I'm looking at those four, uh, Anderson, uh, Bjornfoot, uh, Walker, Roy, I, I think to me what, what will make them more efficient players is when they get more experience, get stronger, as Jim mentions in the case of a guy like Anderson and, and Bjornfoot, they're able to contribute more to the offense because right now I'm not seeing them have an impact offensively and, 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 and you know, a good first pass out of your zone is good offense, right? I mean, I, I'm looking more at, at the bottom line production being part of uh, the goals, the assists by jo joining the attack. And I think moving ahead, all four of those players are going to become better and more proficient in doing that for the Kings. And that, that to me is exciting. Uh, you know, we've seen Walker in his, in, the, in his feet and his quick feet and is able to dart in and out. Um, and, and I think as he gets into year three, four, five of his NHL career, he's going to have more of an impact with the offense as I, I'm, hoping that Anderson and, and, and Bjornfoot do as well, because um, they're, they're really, how many other teams are playing, you know, three, four defensemen with limited experience than the Kings? Not many. And then the Kings are competing and they're winning their share of games. So very positive, very positive, very, uh, um, future looks great there. I, I would expect Nick, Again, with, with Anderson, he made a play in a recent game against the, in the re reverse retro game. Uh, I think it was Minnesota Kings. And he broke up a two-on-one, and that was impressive. But to, to me, was how quickly he went on the counterattack. Yeah. Immediately took three steps. Go That's what the Kings are doing better now than I've seen them do in a long time. It, it's, you know, it's, it's what you do once you create the turnover, how quickly you can counterattack. And I'm seeing a lot there. With Bjornfoot, I think he's more active in the offensive zone. Mikey Anderson, once he gets the offensive zone, he's not that active. Bjornfoot can get involved in that five-man cycle. And, you know, he's a perpetual motion type of skater. But, uh, you know, that's just, just overall as a group, I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see layers of depth with the Kings that we haven't seen in the last two to three years. It's it's where you're you know it, your fourth line now can attack with some decent speed, you know they can counterattacks you know especially when when Athanasiu was down there when he first came back and but you know Trevor Moore these types of guys the only guy that lacks foot speed is Amadio he's the only guy that lacks foot speed and I think that's uh, just another it's, it's just a, starting to see some layers there and that's good. It, We'll see what happens at the top, but at the bottom, there's more depth. There was that transition that, that uh, you know, out with the old, in with the new the last couple of years. And I think now uh, we're seeing it go in the right direction with these young players and, and the layers that Jim talks about. That's because, number one, they're getting experience and they've sorted out, the organization has sorted out who fits where. And when they're a healthy hockey club, I mean, what Jared Anderson Dolan 
provided us in his first five games, you're going, wow. I mean, right now he is out uh, along with Furt. Those are the only two injuries. But to me, when this team is completely healthy, I get the sense where you kind of know where everybody should be slotted in. And, and that's a step in becoming a better team, right? Uh, knowing where everybody fits in. Nick Jad was – he was – he impressed me with his creativeness because I, I have always known him. He's going to be an NHL player. You know that. But he's going to be – you know, he's just going to be that guy you can count on. You know what you're going to get every night. I think he can give more than that now. Limited games. Not expecting him to score. I'm not even expecting him to be top six. But there's going to be some creativity there. Again, you again you're you, you're down in our lineup as far, but you ha, you have more creative players, and they have skill enough to be creative. Well, in this conversation, to sort of let us halfway through the answer to the next question, which was, what is the second line going to be, and who's going to provide secondary scoring? Nick, I'll start with you because before the season started, that was your sort of main storyline that you were concerned with was where the goal is yeah. going to come from. And to your points and to Jim's points, the, you know, we just sort of covered the goals are coming from everywhere, whether it's the fourth line, the third line, um, the second line. So, I mean, it, it's funny to me, it feels like the second line, and I'm assuming that this is with Jared Anderson Dolan perfectly healthy, but to me anyway, the second line has the sort of least established identity of the bottom three lines right we know i follow kopitar brown we're starting to see grunstrom more athanasiu lazat all those guys establish themselves but i mean it, it feels to me like kempe velarde and carter is sort of the second line because it has to be more than because it works um but nick are you happy you know are, were your concerns at the beginning of the season have they been uh you know are you still worried about well, where the goals are going to come from well uh, not as much as it was earlier before the season. Uh, you know, the power play has been great. The special teams have been great. Five on five, I think, to, to again, continue becoming a better team. And as Rob Blake has mentioned, the, the GM, it's time for us to keep getting better now. We've, we've cleansed everything out that we wanted to. So, yeah, five on five, um, you know, I thought at the beginning of the year that some of these younger players would have to get a chance only because of the makeup of the roster. And one of those players that has kind of taken, grasped the opportunity and, and gone with it is Gabe Velarde. And right now, I mean, you track his first five games this year with his next five, then five, and now the fourth set of five to get to 20 where we're at. and his numbers project over a full season to be pretty good if he's going to be your second-line center. Uh, he's playing with a veteran guy on the right. I don't know if if Todd is dead set on who should be on the left side. Uh, with a healthy Athanasiu, maybe he gets an opportunity because he, he started so well, and uh, as did Adrian Kempe, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think – the emergence of Velarde, he's the way he's played has showed me that okay, he can be an NHL player and be a good NHL player. Um, so from that standpoint, my worries about a quote second line aren't what they were before the season started. I, I think 
when, when, when you have new players come up, Nick, on TV, we do a, a thing, uh, Hoover, our producer, uh, it, it's a role, skill, and tangible. And my, for Velarde was impact point producer. Not a secondary point, no, impact. Now, that's that's what he's going to be. That doesn't have to necessarily mean it's going to happen now. I think like you're saying, we're seeing that his ceiling looks very high. I think to, to borrow something Jesse was just talking about, I think his floor, though, has been pretty low this year. He'll have a half a game where you will not notice him and then he will make a game-breaking, game-winning play, all within the same sixty minutes. And um, my intangible for Velarde was untapped confidence, which is—I don't know if that's oxymoronic or not. Because if you're confident, you would—you know—you don't have to tap it. <laughs> I think he has to be. You're 2C. He cannot be anything lower than 2C. And God forbid he had to move up to 1C right now. I think his game would get exponentially greater and better. Because I think there's a, there's a confidence there that's, you know, we've seen some of the, the moves he's made. That floor is a concern. You can't, you can't, you can't go. So you get, say you get 17 minutes. He can't go 14 minutes where he's really quiet. You know, you got to go nine and eight, or you got to go a little bit more balanced there. But uh, it, it isn't. I, I like Athanasiu, Nick. Yeah, I like him. On I put him in my top six. I like him. Yeah, I think his feet are moving. I think he's dangerous. And. and- and with Velarde, I mean, we have to remember he's only got thirty games in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, only thirty. And we're That's, talking about yeah. this guy like he could be a a one C, a number one. I mean, this is great stuff if you're a Kings fan, right? Because at some point in the next three or four years, Andre Kopitar is not going to be part of our equation. So maybe a guy like Velarde can slot up, and now you you you've got. Byfield, whom you've drafted, Rasmus Kapari, getting really good reports on him in the games he's played this year in Ontario. Turcotte. Um, Turcotte. Um, I mean, conceivably, I mean, in the next two or three years, you could, down the middle, you could have Kopitar, Velarde, Byfield, and Kapari. I mean, who's the smallest of that group? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good group, Nick. That's a big, skilled group. <laughs> now, what are the chances of that happening? Probably are not as great as we'd like to think they would be. But it just shows you, um, you know, going back to uh, slotting people in, uh, I think now the Kings are at the point of the development of a lot of these players where when they do bring a player up with later this year or next year, I think they'll know where they slot in and they can use them there and they can succeed. So Todd, Todd brought up, I thought, a very interesting point in one of his recent Zoom chats. And it was, he said, you know, on, he said right now, kind of like I've been mentioning is, you know, the internal competition for the bottom six is really tight now. It's good. 
And then you're starting to see it. Todd brought up the point that on cup contending teams, that internal competition is in your top six, yeah. not your bottom six. Now, the Kings are nowhere near that yet. But with the names you just rattled off, and let's face it, they're not all going to be Kings. Some of those kids are going to be packaged. When, when, when Rob is ready to make that move, when he feels it's, you know, that the Kings are ready to get to that next level, there's going to be a group of kids and they're going to go for a more established player. That brings us perfectly to the next question. I tried to avoid singling out players for these 10 questions because I thought with the exception of Drew Doughty, we'll get to later, you pretty much know what you're going to get to. And, and to all the points we've discussed, they have so many guys in the system. But one name that I did single out was Leish Anderson. And the reason I singled him out was um, – he was seventh overall pick. So, you know, he's got potential, you know, he's, he's highly touted, um, but they traded a second round pick to get him. And now I can't remember if he's restricted free agent at the end of the year or unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. But I mean, they have a very brief window of time to sort out um, how much they want to commit to having him be part of that bottom six struggle or whether he does wind up being packaged or, you know, I think by the time people listen to this, he will have been, um, sent down to, uh, to Ontario for a day or two, maybe longer. So the question is, uh, will Leish Anderson become a regular NHL player? And obviously there's no immediate answer for that 20 games into the season, but I'm curious, Jim, um, what you think of uh, Leish's game so far? Yeah. I, mean, I, I just looked it up just, just to refresh. I mean, he's 22 years old. Yeah. So, and he does have a jump in his step. Again, when you're seventh overall, you have ticked the boxes. Skill-wise, that's, that's, you know, very few role players get drafted seventh overall. <laughs> right. But having said that, uh, you know, even at 22, it kind of seems like now or never. <laughs> <laughs> and it shouldn't be, and it's not. But, again, the Kings have these young kids that are going to just keep leapfrogging and, and Nick, you, you touched on a player that, again, Todd McClellan brought up. Well, it's about two weeks ago now. And it was very interesting. You know, the, he was talking about, you know, flavor of the month. Yeah. Is Byfield and Kaliev because they were just drafted. Well, Kupari, the guy you brought up, is, he's, must, he's got to be the best player on the reign this year. I mean, it just seems that way. So, and he's still young. But he, he's like one or two draft classes older than the Kaliev's and the Byfields. So you forget about him. And that's where the biggest, that's where, again, Leas might be in trouble. It just, even at 22 or 23, when he starts the season next year, I checked the October, he turns 23. I mean, you already have Kupari there. Do you already, you know, and again, Kupari's probably not a bottom six player either, right? No. So they're, they're, they're your, we're going to have some centers playing wing or we're going to have some centers packaged going somewhere else. And to your point, Jim, 17th overall is not seventh overall, but Trevor Lewis, 17th overall first round. I mean, it happens. Yeah. But he's, eh, I think they go top 10 is what they say he has to check all the boxes. Yeah. 
the uh, the next question we have really won't have any answer at all, so we can skip over it if you guys want. But uh, the question is who will get selected by Seattle uh, or who will wind up on the protected list for the Seattle expansion draft? It's way too early to tell. Way too many things have to happen. Um, and way, 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 way too much time yeah. and too much priority and too much importance is put on that one player you lose <laughs> yeah, in your expansion draft. We lost uh, uh, when Vegas picked. Uh, right yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and it was, you know, the choice was him or Forbert, him or Forbert. And and if I bet you right now, if you asked a lot of people that follow the Kings, they would say, we, we lost. You lost a third pairing defenseman. <laughs> That's what you lost. I'm one of those fans, so I don't, I don't have any room to talk. <laughs> but, Who's playing uh, better now? Derek Forbert or uh, Ray McNabb? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Forbert's playing pretty good on a team right now. That's doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just skip uh, past that one. The next one also, um, I phrased it with the word how to begin the season. At this point, <laughs> the question the question I'm more curious about now is why, and I know I'll never get the answer. And that is, the question originally was, how will the taxi squad be utilized during the season? Um, like I said, now the question for me is why. Um, but uh, Nick, any any... Any taxi squad issues that uh, that race to mind? <laughs> no, I, I mean I can jump in again. Yeah, sure. Way, 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 way too much importance and priority <laughs> is put on the taxi squad. I mean, just look at every day we're getting releases, right? Yeah. This guy is now in Ontario. He's now on the taxi squad. He's with the Kings. He's back in the taxi squad. I mean. Injury-wise, the Kings are in pretty good shape, have not been decimated here in the first 20 games. Uh, they did have the two COVID-related instances with Athanasio and Lazat. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, it's just a reason to have bodies on the road if you're on a six-game road trip and three guys go down in the same game You've got those three guys with you on the road, but what are the chances of that happening? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we were all making too much of this taxi squad, and the Kings pretty much, right, have only had four on it, right? You can have six, but they've only had four, I think, at one time. And and they interchange the younger players because they want the younger players to play. They don't want them to sit for two weeks. They want them to go back to Ontario, and if they're not playing with the Kings, play some games. So, it, well, they have they have so many players who are waivers exempt that, for the most part, I mean, I think they put Grossnick on waivers right at the start of the season, and he was claimed. Yeah. And then since then, I don't think they've had to place another player on waivers. Um, they just sort of rotate guys on paper more than anything else onto sure. and off of the taxi squad just to just to meet the requirements. Um, they've actually handled it pretty craftily, I would say. But uh, before the season started, we had no idea uh, how it was going to go now. But uh, moving on, uh, the next question, and this one Jim sort of teased earlier when he talked about the Kings acquiring that dynamic left wing, or sorry, left shooting defenseman. Uh, the question is, will the Kings capitalize on their cap space to make any transactions? And obviously that's been a hot topic of conversation on social media since Darren, I think it was Darren Drager that said uh, the Kings were in the market for the kind of player that all 31 teams are presumably in the market for. Um, but Jim, do you see any, I mean, you asked uh, Rob Blake 
questions about this. Do you see them making any moves or uh, sticking to the quote plan, as it were? Uh, the, there's only one name that's come up recently that I would, you know, and that's Jack Eichel. If things are falling apart in Buffalo and he wants out, we I don't know the answer to those questions. I'm just kind of paraphrasing, you know, every show I listen to, you know, during the day. But um, I'm pretty sure the Kings have been offered, you know, take this contract off our hands and we'll sweeten it up with another third round pick, you know, it's not going to cut those types. I'm sure they've been offered those things. And again, I, I would assume the next big decision Rob Blake has to make is when is he going to package some of these prospects? So that's, that's not necessarily using cap space, but it is right. Because you, the prospects probably make in the lower range of money and the guy you're going to want to acquire is going to be seven, eight, nine million. And, uh, but again, you know, with all the prospects, all the building, Kings aren't there yet. I'd say they're at least one more year away from doing, from using that cap space, at least one more year away. But it's nice to have that space. I agree. I, I think uh, it's probably too soon to think along those terms. Uh, and Jesse, I know in the last homestand, you and I were, having a bite to eat before the game. And I came up with this trade for you and we won't go into the details with players, but I have a package deal to get Leon dry So, <laughs> but I don't know if it's going to happen right now, but you know, we might laugh at this, but a player of that caliber, um, I don't think down the road would be out of the question for the Kings to go after, uh, you know, Jim mentioned Eichel, you know, not being happy, things like that. You know, aside from uh, players um, not being pleased with his surroundings, with whatever team, you know, we talk about all these prospects and there can't be room for all of them. So that's why I think you still need some more time, like Jim mentioned, sort things out, figure, okay, he's going to be a player. He's going to be this for us in the next two years. And maybe some guys who are former first round and second round picks aren't going to be part of the equation. Now you throw them out to other teams. And that's, that, that's where, I mean, Jesse, you and I were laughing about my Leon Dreisaitl deal, but in a couple of years, maybe even next year, I think the Kings will be in a position to, to get an impact player. Now, maybe it's a defenseman to play with Drew Doughty, if that's important. Uh, maybe it's a sniper on the wing or a dry sidle down the middle. I mean, but yeah, I, I, I can see it happening in, in, in the next little while only because of the stockpile of, of prospects uh, that the Kings have. But I, I think answers. they're going to get answers on them. Yeah. I think it's going to be the blockbuster, Nick. I, Cause again, I think a lot of those nor deals are normally are made for a quote unquote veteran player if the kings are going to acquire a player via this route what's going to happen is that player will must have four to five years left in their prime yeah 
because yeah. the Kings, you know, they're not at the stage yet where you can get the veteran guy to put you over the top. We're not there yet. Dreisaitl fits that age group, right? He still has five more years of prime, you know. And by the way, we're not going to mention these, but I liked your deal. <laughs> we chatted about it too, and, and it was realistic. It yeah. was, yeah. but it would it would have been a major major shift for the Kings and a major shift for the Oilers. Yeah, I and I and I'm and I came up with that trade, and I'm not going to mention names yeah. <laughs> because I'm looking at what the Oilers have lacked in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, defense, goaltending, and okay, you've got two great, two of the best forwards in, in in the world right now, and it hasn't worked for them. So that that's why I threw that out there. And and down the road, there are going to be other teams in that type of situation. So I think we can look to the past though, also because. I see a ton of people referencing the Mike Richards trade and the Jeff Carter trade in reference to to the Kings. And obviously the Kings are not now where they were in 2011 and 2012 when they made those moves. But those moves also, I don't think anybody saw Mike Richards and Jeff Carter becoming available on the same day, right? That caught everybody you know, off guard. And had the Kings landed an Ilya Kovalchuk or a Brad Richards, they can't get Mike Richards and then later, whatever it was, seven months later, get Jeff Carter. Um, so keeping that flexibility for that day when, you know, Nick, to your point, maybe, maybe dry sidled, maybe the Oilers do two years from now, three years from now decide, you know what? Not, if not him, McDavid, right? right. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, talk about history repeating itself. That's uh but um, that's, that's the answer. Like in my ear, many nights, Mike Hassan will get in my ear. And he'll ask me, who do I want at the next whistle? Who do I want to see? You know, like, and I always say, Connor McDavid. Right. <laughs> Why not? In a Kings uniform, that'd be good. Absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned, Jesse, uh, when the Kings acquired Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, you know, building, you know, leading up to the 2012 and the 2014 Cups. The Kings, I remember after the 10-11 season, wasn't Brad Richards going to be available? Yep. Yeah, and they went he hard for him. Guy, he, he was a guy yeah. that everybody was talking about. And Terry Murray was the coach, and I think Dean told uh, Terry, I got Richards. And Terry thought, oh, we got Brad Richards. No, we got the other Richards, which turned out to be fabulous, obviously. But uh, That's going to bring us to our uh, second to last question. And this one I did – I did want to single this guy out um, and I'll start with you, Jim, because I know you've had a lot of nice things to say about his season. That question was, will Drew Doughty have a bounce back year? Um, and I think 20 games in, the answer is pretty conclusive. Yeah. Um, and when we chatted at the beginning of the season, before the season started, you asked me for my n- number one thing I was looking for. And That's I was right. looking, that my answer was Drew Doughty and how he would play. Um, first two games, man. We were all worried <laughs> yep. uh, because it just didn't work. It just didn't work. It, it might work in the future with Ole. That's, it just didn't work then. Um, but energy is always there with Drew. Uh, now he has purpose again in this game. And that's the – and he even ad- kind of admitted it recently in one of his Zoom chats where, you know, let everyone on the outside, let that noise, let that criticism, let them deal with that. 
don't worry about it, Drew. And I think he's put that behind him now. You know, they're, they're not selecting him for the Canadian Olympic team next time and all this. Um, and we did say he's he spent some COVID time working on his shot, you know, the extra time uh, that we had off due to COVID. And, and it, it seems like the power play is resurgent. And Drew's shot has been one of the reasons for that. Um, but he's not running around anymore to put out fires. Like he, he's not. He's, he's settled in. And um, in the situations he's put in during games, which is, again, constantly against the other team's best line, uh, you know, he's, he's now, again, I think he's probably entered the top 10 consideration for a defenseman in the league right now. And of course, people like us who see him more than that probably would elevate him even higher. He had a uh, quote. Uh, I can't remember if it was yesterday or today. All the off day Zoom calls sort of blend into one in my brain. But um, he addressed the idea that he was trying to do too much uh, last year and the year before. And he didn't come out and say that in response to that, he then pulled back too far and, and didn't do enough, but he definitely re referenced the idea of pulling back, right? When people were telling him that he was trying to do too much. Um, so your use of the word purpose, Jim, I thought was perfect. Um, he does, he does seem to be playing. I don't even know what the right phrase is within himself or, or to a more efficient end than, than maybe in previous seasons. And it's, I mean, you can see it in the, in the results. Um, one real quick last thought on the only Mata Drew Doughty pairing, um, because just as a fan, one of the things I've really enjoyed about Rob Blake's tenure as GM and now with Todd McClellan as a coach is that they're not afraid to back away from decisions they make that maybe aren't working out and they're not afraid to back away rapidly. Um, so I thought it was really, uh, impressive, I guess that McClellan made the comments he did about the Mata Dowdy pairing um, and about it not working. And, and I think the phrase he said was it was on them. They put too much pressure on, on that pair to be more than maybe it, it could be or should be. I'm curious. Um, we'll start with Nick, but I'm curious, Nick, if you can remember hearing a, a coach or a GM make a comment that quickly into a, a season. Well, I know, when Ole first uh, came and, and we had the training camp, uh, Todd was asked about it and, and, and Ole was asked about it and Drew was asked about it being, you know, the pair together and it would work. And, you know, everybody wants the new guy, the veteran guy to come in and, and, you know, be effective. And obviously he had trouble adjusting to the system. I think he was trying to do too much from what I saw in games, it just wasn't a veteran NHL defenseman that I was watching night after night. Then they pulled him back and, you know, we got the standard lines, you know, he needs more time for the system, the this, the that. But then he comes back and I, I think it was, he had two games on the last road trip, the six game trip, back to back games. And he he was he was one of the best players on the ice for either team. So, you know, do, do you 
is that how you should handle players in this situation all the time? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't for different circumstances. But, but I think what we're seeing now from Olimata is, is a lot better than what we saw in the first four games before he sat out. Um, and maybe he had trouble adjusting. Maybe he was trying too hard. Maybe playing with Drew Doughty, you know, he felt intimidated. Who knows? Who knows? But I like his game now. Uh, he, he, to me, is one of our six defensemen moving forward. And if he plays like he did on this last road trip, that, that that's nothing but positive things for the Kings moving forward. Yep. Have you guys ever stayed at a friend's house like for the first time or you're, you know, you know, you visit your brother or something and you've never been to his house before and you get up at three in the morning and you're trying to go downstairs to get a glass of water and you have no idea where, like where you are. Cause it's not your, well, that was Olimata his first four games. He was in a world that he didn't know. He, and and Nick, to me, specifically where he got himself in trouble was with the puck. Instead of making the first play, he was looking for the home run. You know, instead of that first pass 10 foot up the boards, he was looking to send someone on a breakaway because he thought, okay, I'm joining this team. I really have to show them that I can do this. And he was a turnover machine his first handful of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't mind him as much defending but he put himself in situations where he had to like break up three on ones, but he did create the three on one by how he handled the puck. So uh, just, we haven't had a chance right in person. Yeah, I really like what I see from him as, as a communicator, as a veteran defenseman. Uh, I talked with some people in, in, in Chicago, because when he first came out, I, I had to get, and they told me in the bubble last year, arguably their best defenseman. And Chicago surprised, right? First round, right? They won. Uh, the thing, regardless of where they were going to use him, what did they give up for him? Yeah, nothing. So, so it's not, it's not, let's just let him play. Let's let him go. Let's hope the Kings are in a you know, fight for a playoff spot down the end here. And he, he'll give you solid minutes. There's no question he'll give you solid minutes. And that brings us to our final question. And again, this one won't have an answer till later in the season, but I'll just uh, ask it and then ask how you feel about it compared to the start of the season. The final question is, will the Kings make the playoffs? You both basically said the same thing before the season started, which is there's Vegas, there's Colorado, there's St. Louis. We presume those three teams will make it. And then, you know, I think, Jim, you said do any of the five remaining teams in the division, have any of them established themselves or do they stand out? And, and you said no. Um, does the strong play of Minnesota change your opinion at all now, 20 yes. games into the season? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. I, I, I think they are, at least as we speak, and I don't know they drop on to Vegas in um, OT and they had a lead. Um they are as good a team as I've seen this year playing against the Kings. Uh, now we've played them a lot, right? So maybe you just get that build up a respect. One thing I will give them, and I think Kaprizov has a lot to do with this. 
for years and years and years for me, Minnesota was a nondescript franchise. Gabrick, maybe early on, once he went away, I did, you know, Suter back on defense is their personality, which means he's very efficient, but he never stands out. He doesn't break a sweat. Now they have a little bit more, the moves they've made over the last little while. I mean, to, to ice uh, Sturm, Bukestad, and Bonino as your fourth line, that's a pretty good fourth line. Uh, and then they have six, basically six veteran defensemen. Uh, so that, that's, that goes back to your question about the Kings. Yes, it has changed my mind. I think the initial thought was, I won't be surprised if they do. I won't be surprised if they don't. Um, I'll say this. I think you can make an argument that the Kings record should be better than it is. Uh, but I'm pretty impressed. I, I, I'm, I'm, I know this was going to be another growing year, and it might be still that. But it might be a growing year where you just, you get a little better. You get, you, you know, let's play those last 15 games, you know, hovering around the outside. Before the season, my answer was all based on the perceived competition in the Honda Pacific, Honda West. Um, now, Honda now, back. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm more, I'm just, I'm more impressed with the Kings and the style they're playing. Power play, you know, by that's that's the, when you produce a goal a game, you're going to start winning some games that you used to lose. Yeah. Yeah, and I know when Jesse you asked me that question when the season started, are the Kings a playoff team? Um again, Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado top 3, I think uh, that's the way it's going to happen. Uh, maybe not, but, you know, you look at the other five teams with Minnesota and then the three California teams in Arizona. If a couple of those teams that were ahead of us last year falter, I remember saying to you, and if the Kings can improve a little bit, they're right there. They're battling for a playoff spot. And I totally agree with Jim. Uh, we played Minnesota enough to have a real good book on them. And what impresses me about the wild is they have seemingly have made that changeover from getting rid of their top two veteran centers, Koivu and Stahl. And now their best players are some of their youngest players, Kaprizov, Erickson Eck, who's killed the Kings this year and Fiala who always gets his chances. It seems. So they have been able to turn things over. So now are they going to be a team that falters from last year? It doesn't look that way. So I'm still going to go with the Kings have to beat out a team like Minnesota if they want to make it. So um, I'm not saying now, you know, maybe St. Louis or injuries crop up with a Colorado team. Um, and, and, you know, you've got eight games left and you're within two points of making it. It could happen. Maybe Minnesota winds up in second or third, but, um, yeah, I, I, Minnesota to me is a team that you really have to like the way they're trending because of who their important players are now. 
They're their youngest play. I mean, their, their cycle game has killed. I, I was shocked on that last road trip, the first game in Minnesota, that Dean Evison, their coach, didn't keep Eric Sinek with uh, Greenway and Felino together to play just against the Kings because they were dominant in L.A. almost every shift. I mean, we couldn't handle that then. And I think later in maybe that first game in Minnesota, he did put them back together uh, for whatever reason. But to me, they're, they're a different team than, than what I've seen from Minnesota the last couple of years. And you know, Nick, the, the analytics say right now that the Kings are one of the best teams and have been because of the 1-3-1 neutral zone of forcing the other team to dump the puck in. So we, we deny possession entries as well as any team. Against Minnesota, we should we should let them carry it in. Because <laughs> when they get that cycle going, man, it's like when yeah. they dump it in and go and get it, they're they're pretty effective. Yeah. But now you're right, Nick. Now they throw and we were just we're we're reinforcing just your the way you asked the question because we're talking so much about Minnesota here. It's but they, you know, Fiala impresses me. He is dangerous every single I think, I think. I don't know. I'm hoping that Athanasiu can be that type of player. That every shift he's on the ice, you have to know you have to know where he is. And then you know, Kaprizov is the wild card. He is he is a ignition point for that team. Let's flip the conversation on its ear a bit because. At this point in the schedule, we were supposed to be done with Minnesota, right? There's that one game that gets postponed to April, but we were supposed to have played all eight. Um, and so we've got seven out of the way, and I think Minnesota impressed everybody and, and performed better than we expected them to. But we've got four games against St. Louis in the next nine, I think. And then the Kings are done with St. Louis for the season. And I think equally by surprise, the Kings are, what, three and one against St. Louis? Um, St. Louis dealing with some injuries, maybe slipping a little bit. How important are those four games against St. Louis coming up then, Jim? Yeah, you know, it's it's just – I'm just happy that I'm going into games now going, this is an important <laughs> game. And I think we kind of knew that because of the 56-game schedule. It's going to be really tightened up and bottled up, and the intensity will be there. The importance of each game is ramped up. Uh, that's that's where Todd McClellan in his second year as a head coach will find out more about his players that, that he, he knows his players now but he's still getting a book on them those are the situations I think he's going to complete his book and that'll allow him to take a next step as a head coach into that slotting we were talking about earlier looking to next year I think he'll have a much better understanding of where people slot. And and to uh, to Jim's point, if you're in the race, last year when a lot of these young players came up, the Kings were out of it, right? So yeah, there's you know you don't want to. I, I hate saying pressure, but it's a different mood when you're a player and the games don't mean as much like they do at the end of last season. Uh, everybody was talking about, you know, the seven game winning streak. Well, most of those games were at home and there were games that 
Okay, they're playing out the string. They're not going to make the playoffs. This year in the Honda West, it's the tightest division of the four. Uh, I think the other night, the top six teams in our division were separated by two points. That gap is just a little wider now because teams are starting to, to play all the time again. But um, to Jim's point, Todd's going to find out when games mean something, who's going to show up, who are going to be the difference makers, who are going to be the impact players. And over the years, whether it's accurate or not, I, I've said there are players in this league that are good players on bad teams. Can they be good players on good teams? And there are a variety of factors that come into what I just said. And I think as long as the Kings are in it and are playing competitive games and these younger players are getting experience, that's where Todd's going to find out more about these young kids. Uh, who can I use when the game is on the line, when the playoffs are at stake instead of playing game 70 when we're totally out of it? Yeah, I think that's a perfect, perfect spot to wrap up. Um, we'll revisit these in about a, a month, I suppose, and, and hopefully we'll have a, a clearer image of some of these questions. But Jim, thanks very much for joining me. Always a pleasure, guys. Uh, thanks very much for having me. It's great. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not ordering rings yet, but um, <laughs> but I'm I'm starting to see a transition to the next phase. That's what I believe I'm seeing. I'm happy to see that. Nick, thanks for joining me. I'll uh, I'll be pitching you a trade proposal tomorrow night. It's <laughs> <laughs> great, Jesse. Uh, always uh, fun to talk hockey with you guys, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.